Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Let's get our Bibles out and go to Romans chapter 14. We've been looking uh, at the book of Romans forever, and uh, we're hoping that it won't be forever before we get through. But this is, it's always been surprising to me as I've walked through Romans, <coughs> excuse me, at how relevant this word is. And I don't know why that would surprise me. God's word has these eternal truths that are as relevant today as they were the day they were written. Romans 14 is about cancel culture. You hear a lot about cancel culture these days, but I've got to tell you, the church has been a cancel culture for a long time. In fact, we were cancel culture before cancel culture was cool. You don't believe me? Just look at all the divisions in the church. Look at all the times the church split up over some dumb thing. And we have as a result of that so many different ways of looking at it. You know, the idea is think like I think, believe like I believe, look like I look, do what I do, then and only then will I have fellowship with you. Look how it works in the denominations. We have so many different denominations and you've got Methodists and Catholics and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Nazarenes and Pentecostals and Assembly of God and Church of God and Episcopalian and Brethren and Congregationalist and then you've got the Baptist and I know what you're thinking. Yeah, we have that because all of them are wrong. But then even within the Baptist, nobody can cancel like the Baptist. Listen to this. Here's the Baptist stripes. You have hard-shelled Baptist, Bible Baptist, Black Baptist, American Baptist, Baptist Missionary Association of American Baptists. There are Bethel Ministerial Association Baptist and the Central Baptist and the Christian Unity Baptist and the Conservative Baptist Association of America. And don't forget the Duck River and Kindred Association of Baptists, also known as the Baptist Church of Christ. There's the Evangelical Free Baptist Church and the Free Will Baptist Church and the General Baptist not to be confused with the General Association of Regular Baptists or the General Conference of Evangelical Baptist Church Incorporated. There are Landmark Baptists and Baptist Evangelical Life and Soul Saving Assembly of the USA Baptists. There are Northern Baptists and Reformed Baptists and Separate Baptists in Christ, Seventh-day Baptists, General Conference Baptists, and here's my favorite, the two-seat-in-the-spirit predestinarian Baptist. I don't even know what that means. And the United Baptist and the United Free Will Baptist. And then, of course, there's the most numerous of all, the Southern Baptist. And yet within the Southern Baptist, that's not enough because you have to be moderate or conservative or progressive or liberal or some other label. Why is that? Why so many denominations? Well, some of the division is on essential beliefs. And when, and when groups of people leave the foundation of the sovereign word of God, then, yeah, we need to separate. And, and there are deep-seated theological differences that result from man sort of layering upon the word of God his own ideas and his own concepts. And yeah, when that happens, separation is inevitable. But most of the stuff that divides us is not really important. How you dress. There are some churches that think anybody that comes into church should wear a suit and tie and the women should wear dresses. Um, the music style. 
There are, Howard Hendricks told me this 30 years ago. He said, more churches are being split over music than theology. And we need to realize contemporary music, for one thing, is not contemporary. It's been going on for 40 years now. But contemporary music isn't the only way to worship. Traditional music has beautiful hymns and lift you to the Lord. When I'm in Africa, they don't sing any of the stuff we sing. The question of music is, what lifts your heart to the throne room of Jesus? How do you worship? Well, if you want to worship with that music style, I'm all with you. I'm there. I'm down with it. But why would we ever divide over music? How they organize. You know, some use deacons, some use elders, some use bishops. How they do missions. You know, some churches want an uh, independent uh, way to deal with missionaries. Some people do it collectively. Um, often it's some small theological thing, you know, like some churches say King James only. People ask me all the time, what's the best version of the Bible? And I always say, the one you've mastered. I don't care what version you use as long as it's based on the original text. And then master it, man. If you love King James... More power to you. Use King James. It's a beautiful translation of the Scripture. I just, English has changed so much since then, it just confuses me, and I can't do the these and thous thing, but that doesn't mean you can't. Doesn't mean everybody should have to. You know, we have these ideas that that we ought to do certain things in church. One time, uh, we had this dude that was left-handed, and he baptized somebody the, the opposite direction because it was left-handed. And I had a lady come up to me and say, that baptism wasn't valid. And I said, why? And she said, he wasn't facing east. You're supposed to face east. They baptized him backward. I'm like, we don't even know which direction east is. Where did you get that? That's not in the Bible. But that became a sticking point for her. There are some who think that you ought to think a certain way about the tribulation. Are we pre-tribulation rapturists? Are we post-tribulation rapturists? Are we pre-millennial? Are we post-millennial? Are we all millennial? I'm a pan-millennialist. I think it's all going to pan out and that God's got control of all of it. And I don't have to worry about that because he told me not to worry about it in John, I mean, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have a lot of conversations these days about Calvinism. You realize John Calvin wrote his theology in 1537. We're coming up on 600 years now. This argument has been going on. I don't think we're going to solve it. So why are we arguing about it? Let's get on with the Great Commission. And today we've had politics to the mix. You've got to be a Republican or Democrat. You have to vote a certain way in order to have fellowship with me. Here's the point. Most of what divided us should not have divided us. And maybe had we been true to what Paul says in Romans 14, things would have worked out very differently in church because the central idea of Romans 14 is simply this. Give grace. Give grace. So let's pick up the the book of Romans. Remember, it breaks out basically in two divisions. 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, are all about the theology of grace. And then beginning in chapter 12, moving to the end of the book, chapter 16, it's the biology of grace. Romans 1 through 11 is about getting grace. Here's what's required for you to find grace. Faith in Christ. 
and what that means and how that works out and how that plays. But then in chapter 12, he says, we need to live the grace that we've received. And then in 14, 1 through 15, 13, he, he transitions very subtly from getting grace, living grace to giving grace. And that's the whole focus of uh, 14, 1 through 15, 13. And, and it, obviously it's, it's too big to take on at once, uh, so let's divide it up. But it's getting grace, living grace, giving grace. That's the idea, okay? And this morning we're going to look at 14, 1 through 12. So verse 1 says this, Now, accept the one who is weak in the faith. Got that? And that word accept means to take to yourself. It's, it's an intimate word. It means to pull alongside, to embrace, but not for the purpose of passing judgment. Now, underline this word, on his opinions. You got that? And so that acceptance means, and this is just the opposite of what graceless people do. When graceless people run into a disagreement, you become the enemy and you, you, you come under attack. You don't agree exactly like I do. Oh, you see things a certain way that I don't see it. Well, then I cancel you. That's what graceless people do. But people who are full of grace, who recognize the need for grace in their own life, who are not only living grace, they then begin to give grace. And that's the emphasis of what he's talking about here. And, and, and the world today is the exact opposite of that. Notice he says, accept the weak. And that word weak means spiritually immature. So the first idea is this, give them space. Give them space. You see, people grow slowly, and this is why it's so important to nail down your theology before you start talking about your biology. It, through chapter, chapters 1 through 11, Paul talks about we're all sinful. We all need salvation. The cross was God's answer to our problem. Even while we were yet sinful, Christ died for us. And the Bible says that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved, okay? And that's called justification, that God considers the one who is sinful to be holy. And so at salvation, when I come to faith in Christ, God declares me to be the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. But then as soon as I'm justified by faith, the work of the Spirit begins in my life, and He begins to conform my life into the image of Jesus. Romans 8, 29, For whom He foreknew, these He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. What does Jesus want us to look like? He wants us to look just like Him. That's called sanctification. And whereas justification is instantaneous the moment I receive faith in Christ, sanctification is the process of a lifetime. And some people grow at different speeds. And, and as a result of that, when we come to faith in Christ, we often bring some of our stuff with us. Our habits are, are, are brought with us, and old habits are hard to break, and old customs are hard to surrender. And, and in, in this particular instance, in, in Rome, in, in the letter that he's writing, the, the issue uh, was centered around meat and meeting days. Meat and meeting days. Look at verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, uh, that, this comes down in two ways. The Jews had strict dietary laws. Um, for example, if you wanted to eat meat, it, uh, it was required that whatever meat you ate had to come from an animal with a cloven hoof who chewed its cud. So you couldn't eat horses. You couldn't eat pigs. If it came out of the water... It had to have scales and fins. That's hard news for Louisiana people. That means crawfish are out. Shrimp is out. 
catfish are out. And then there was another admonition that you couldn't eat a dairy product with a meat product. So no cheeseburgers, no pizza, none of that. You got it? This is getting hard, isn't it? And then they had some very specific rules about how the meat was prepared. For example, if you ate uh, a cow, it had to come from the front quarter of the cow. Uh, you couldn't eat anything with paws, so it couldn't be a rabbit, a squirrel, anything like that. Couldn't eat dogs, cats. Can't eat that stuff. And, and if it was meat from uh, an animal with a cloven hoof and chewed its cud, then it was only the forequarter, and then it had to be prepared a certain way. And so all of these things sort of uh, coalesced together to such an extent that it became difficult to know, am I getting the right kind of meat, am I not? And I, I really comes down to having a Jewish kosher deli prepare the meat for me, and I can't be sure of that, so I'm just not even going to eat meat. And, and this is coming out of the Jewish traditions, the Mosaic Law, and now they're into faith in Christ and their grace, and all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And so now they can do whatever they want, but those old customs are hard to give up. So they said, I'm not going to eat meat. Paul says, well, they're weak. Give them room. Give them space. You know, the, the, the uh, Greco-Romans had a different problem with meat. Their problem with meat was that in that age, there were idols and idolatry everywhere, and worship was done through idolatry. And what they would do is they would bring these cows and chickens and goats and whatever, pigs, whatever, and they would offer them to their pagan deities. And then these temple priests would say, hey, man, we got so much meat. Let's make some money on the side. And they would sell the meat back to the meat market, and they would give it this caveat that this meat's coming out of the temple. It's been... It consecrated, and therefore it's got some hocus-pocus magic spiritual stuff in it. So when you eat this meat, you're getting something magical. Everybody's looking for that, right? And so the people would do that. Well, these people coming out of idolatry into the church are like, I don't want to eat that meat. It's, it's got some sort of pagan influence on it. I'm not eating it. What if they serve it to me? What if I'm over at their house for dinner and they bring it out and they don't tell me whether it's, it's pagan meat or whether it's just regular meat? And so they said, I'm not going to eat meat at all. And so these people come into the church. And there were people in the church who were like, you need to give up that foolish, ridiculous tradition that you have and, and want to shower down on them. And Paul's saying, hey, look, leave it alone. Leave it alone. What about those people who are chained to their customs? What about those who can't get over the idea that the meat is tainted? Man, I feel this right now. What do you do with people who have a different take on things than you? You feeling any of this going on? What about vaxxers and anti-vaxxers? Maskers and no-maskers? Vegans and carnivores? Drinkers and abstainers? Republicans and Democrat? Traditional and contemporary? Suits and jeans? What about all the ists? Amy and I were talking about this yesterday. We were, we were talking about feminism and, and about a feminist. And I said, you know, I just don't want to be an ist. I don't want to be a... A feminist, I don't want to be a chauvinist, I don't want to be a masochist or a sadist or a racist, I don't want to be a Calvinist or a traditionalist, I don't want to be an ist. Amy said, well, you're a Baptist. <laughs> and that's when I turned back into a chauvinist. I said, woman, keep silent in the church. <laughs> no, I didn't. I said, you got me there. Why can't we just be a yun? Let's be a Christian. How's that? Would that be okay? 
What do we do with all these divisive things? Do we go to the mat on these issues? Do we have another Christian cage fight? Do, what, does, what does the Bible say? It says, give them grace. Remember the pattern. Get grace, live grace, give grace. Look at verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. That word regard with contempt means to despise. Don't despise the guy just because he's different from you and he's got some different opinions from you. Now, there are things that are clearly sinful. And whenever we're dealing with sin, we take it head on, right? Galatians 6 verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. But this isn't a question of sin. Look back up at chapter 14, verse 1. Look what he said. Passing judgment on his opinions. There's a difference here. He's not dealing with sin. He's dealing with opinions. This is more about preference. And this is where we come back around to the reformer Rupertus uh, Maldinius. Um, He he has this beautiful statement, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And this is one of those areas, Paul's not talking about essentials here, he's dealing with non-essentials. And here's our problem. Too often we treat non-essentials as if they were essential. And we identify as sin something that God never said was sinful. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard against smoking in my lifetime. We used to have these evangelists come in, and it was anti-smoking, anti-smoking, anti-smoking. And smoking became one of the great sins of the Baptist faith. The problem is, there's, you don't find anywhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt not smoke. But when you turn that unhealthy habit into a sin, it creates a guilt that people have to deal with. So as a pastor, I walk up to a guy smoking a cigarette, what's he going to do? He's going to hide it, you know? One time I walked up to a guy, he put his hand in his pocket with a lit cigarette, Warren was with me, and I just started talking to him, and I talked to him, and talked to him, and talked to him for a long time. And then we turned to walk away, and Warren said, that is so unlike you to linger so long talking to a guy. Why did you do that? And I said, you didn't see that he put that cigarette in his pocket. I was going to see if he caught on fire. (laughs) I confess later. (laughs) Growth is a process. Peter really struggled with this food thing. Uh, If you read Peter's story, God wanted him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, so he's got to go to Cornelius. And before he goes there, he's at Simon's house and He's up on the roof waiting for dinner. He falls asleep, and a sheet comes down from heaven with all these unclean animals. You know, Peter's Jewish, man. And uh, the, the Spirit says to Peter, stop calling unclean those things that are clean. So Peter, you know, here comes a knock. Guys are at the door. They go to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is saved. The Spirit falls, and the evidence of the Spirit becomes manifest there. And, and Cornelius is the first Gentile, I believe, the first Gentile to come into the faith. Fast forward to Galatians. I mean, you would think Peter had resolved this Jewish tradition problem, but fast forward to Galatians. Uh, when Peter's hanging out with the, the non-Jewish Christians, he's like eating cheeseburgers and, and pepperoni pizza. But then certain men of James come around, and all of a sudden Peter separates himself and goes over and gets all kosher. And, and in Galatians uh, 2 verse 12 and through 14, Paul says, I basically called him out on it to his face. One guy said, Paul said to Peter, Peter, you got ham on your breath. And you know what that tells me? 
It tells me, it shows me how hard it is to walk away from cherished customs. Old habits die hard. And we come to faith from all different perspectives and we drag our stuff with us. And sometimes it takes time for the Spirit to bring us uh, from it. You got to give them room, man. We had to, I, one time I had this girl come in for counseling. She worked in the adult entertainment business. She was a dancer. And she got saved. And so she starts coming to church. Well, when she comes to church, she's going to wear what she's got. And I'm telling you, all she's got is tight leather and barely there shirts. And the women in our church did not appreciate that. And they came to me and said, you need to talk to her about the clothes she's wearing. I'm like, that's all the clothes she's got. Why don't we give her some room and let the Holy Spirit deal with her? And then she started reaching her friends and they came with their clothes. And man, I had it going on for a while. (laughs) I had some mad people. You need to do something about this. Oh, why don't we let the Holy Spirit do something? Give them room, man. Let the Holy Spirit speak to them about modesty. I'll, I'll teach them. Second thing is remember who's in charge. Verse 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That's a great reminder. God didn't die and put me in charge. These people aren't mine. They're his, so quit judging and quit acting like you're in charge of somebody else's life. Third thing, it's all about the heart. We, we say this all the time. God's not looking at performance. He's looking at the heart. Look at verse 5. One person regards one day above another, and another regards every day alike. So these Jewish people are coming out, and they're steeped in Mosaic law, and they're, they're worshiping on the Sabbath. And by the way, guys, the Sabbath is Saturday. Sunday is the Lord's day. Why do we worship on Sunday? Because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, Okay. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday's the Sabbath. But these Jews were coming into the church. They still felt the need to worship on the Sabbath. Look what he says. Each person has to be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. And man, I got to tell you, when I read that, it bothered me. Because there were those in the church who taught legalism and Judaism, and they taught that in order for you to be a Christian, you had to first be a Jew. And man, Paul wrote the book of Galatians, which excoriates this idea. Look at Galatians 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The Galatians had bought into this idea of going back to Judaism. Uh, Galatians 5, 4, he thunders the conclusion. You've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. That's not to say you've lost your salvation. You've fallen from the theology of grace. And I'm like, wait, what? Because here he's he's saying it's okay to insist on worshiping on Saturday. And here's where I land on this. It's all about the heart. Romans is dealing with people coming into grace from Judaism. and, And it's taking them time. Galatians is dealing with people walking away from grace back into legalism. And that is something Paul calls them away from. But it's really about the intent of the heart. It's about the purity of the heart. Look at Romans 14, 7. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. Uh, Verse 8, for if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. It's all about the intention of the heart. Do I live for the Lord? Do I die for the Lord? Whether I live or die, I'm the Lord's. It's always been about the heart. 
1 Samuel 16, 7, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? What's that word? Heart. And since I can't see into your heart, I can't know your intentions. And if I can't know your intentions, I'm incapable of judging them. So remember, it's all about the heart. Last thing, deal with your own stuff. (laughs) Verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Here it is. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. And here's the bad news. Without grace, none of us are going to pass that test. I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw this ad for a coffee mug. I got to get one of these. It's a picture of sort of an angry Santa and it says, you're all naughty. And at the bottom, there's a quote of Romans 3, 10 through 12. There is no good list. There's only a naughty list. Uh, Remember what Romans 3 said? As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There's There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none that does good. There's not even one. And that includes me. That's why I need grace. And since we all need grace, we have to all give grace. And that means i got to tend to my own stuff. Look at, look at verse 11 and 12. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That guy with that idea that I don't necessarily agree with, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to, I don't necessarily like, one day he's going he's gonna to kneel before the Lord. His knee's going to hit the ground. But here's what I've got to remember. So will mine. And if I'm going to stand before the Lord and have to deal with the junk in my life, then I don't have time to, to criticize, critique, or condemn the junk that's in his. And we're back to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your eye? Deal with the log first, and then you'll see well enough to be able to reach for the speck. Because his knee's going to hit the ground, but so's yours. So stop spending so much time on his business and take care of your business. Fair enough? So let's examine this. You're in this. I'm in this. Let me ask you this question. If it's all about grace, if I need grace and I get grace through faith, and then I live grace and I give grace, then it's all about grace. If somebody had to, to describe you, let's say, let's say somebody's going to do your eulogy or they're going to celebrate your life, and they get 10 words to describe you, Maybe that's not fair. Let's go 20. They give you 20 words to describe you. Will the word grace be used? If it's all about grace and somebody's going to describe us in 20 words or less, shouldn't grace be in the description? 
somewhere close to the top? How would they describe you? Would it be intolerant, demanding, critical, hypersensitive, harsh? Would those be the words in your definition? Or would it be, you know, he was gracious. Mm. Do you give people room to grow? Or do you demand that they toe the line, look like you look, think like you think, act like you act, and do what you do? And if they'll only do that, then you've got a place for me. But if not, canceled. I think we've been doing that for too long. Maybe it's time for the church to rediscover. Maybe it's time for you to rediscover what it means to give grace. Would you pray with me? Father, your word could not be clearer, especially in this divisive confrontational age that we are to be people who give grace. We thank you for the grace that you've given us. We thank you that on that day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God that, Father, we've already done that now. And we thank you that because of grace, we pass from death into life. We thank you for the assurance of that. But Father, those of us who have received grace can sometimes be pretty ungracious. And Father, I just confess that to you as my sin right now, and I lay that at your feet. It's so easy for me to walk into a room and pick out everything that's wrong, to be critical. And I've run into people who think they've got the spiritual gift of that. When in fact, Father, the thing that needs to be said of me and all of us is that we're gracious. And so those people who come into our lives who are weak and young in faith and struggling with opinions and ideas that are being forged and formed, help us to give grace. When people aren't like us, don't look like us, help us to give grace. When people don't necessarily agree with all of our opinions, help us to be gracious because Jesus was and we want to be like him. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.